couple of things that we are passionate about here at Grace Chapel are missions, and this is a great opportunity. We're talking about Touch One locally and globally. Well, here's an opportunity to, to touch lives in India globally. This is a, there's a lot of video of the, the group that just got back from India with back-to-back ministries, and you have an opportunity to go and impact the lives of the children that you saw on this video. We'd like you, if you would be, like to be a part of the, the India missions trip, there's sign-up sheets back there. There are other places you can go as well, but we want to focus our attention on India this morning. If God has been speaking to your heart about a missions trip, this would be a great, great opportunity. Another thing that we're really excited about here at Grace Chapel and that we've, in a sense, in, in some ways helped pioneer uh, the, market, the, the idea of marketplace ministry, um, and that's a way that you can reach out locally and impact the lives of the people around you at work. I asked Ron Toby to come and share how God is using him uh, and the people of this church to, to do just that. Well, Jeff thought I was going to talk about workplace ministry, but actually I wanted to take uh, time to ask you for a special donation to get some of that purple dust so that our drummers can also have that dust flying around like we saw in the video. No, that's not true. Um, I want to tell you a story about my friend Bernie. Bernie, last year, as a person who has a job, is in the workplace, got new responsibilities that gave him greater decision-making power and authority over finances, And as he took that job and the year progressed, he got a letter in the mail. And the letter came from the IRS. The letters we all love to get, right? Well, he opened that letter, and it informed him that he had an oversight. He had failed to file a form that under his new position he needed to form, and there would be a penalty. And the penalty was somewhat sizable. And he immediately had displeasure about this. He would rather not send that money to the IRS. But he was trying to work this integration of faith and work into his life. And he thought, I can pray about this. Maybe there's a different idea. And the idea that came to him was that maybe I can write a letter to the IRS and ask them to forgive my oversight because I acknowledge I missed it. I thought the accountant would do it and maybe they would give me mercy. Well, he told this to a few people, and they laughed at him. (laughs) The IRS is not going to forgive you. They don't do that. He said, I'm going to send it anyway. In fact, I I sense that it's not much about the money. It's about trying to bring God into the situation. And if this gets forgiven, I'm going to take that money and actually give it to some ministries that I believe in. And so he sent the letter, and they forgave him. He got a letter back. They forgave him of his oversight. And he felt a little tap on his shoulder from the Lord saying, now what was that about that money that you were going to do? And as a man who wants to walk with God and obey God, he followed through and he he gave that. And and yet the tap on the shoulder didn't stop. The tap on the shoulder said, now what about maybe thanking the IRS? Write another letter and tell them thank you for the forgiveness that they extended to you. So he did that, and he added to that an explanation in brief about how he had used the funds that they had allowed him to keep to give to things that he believed in that were connected to God. He was integrating his faith in his work. And I can just imagine that office. Actually, I don't even have to imagine it. You know what they did? The IRS sent him another letter back. And their letter said, 
We have never in the history of this office received a letter like the one you sent us. Thanking us for extending forgiveness and then going on to talk about how you attached it to a meaningful purpose with the resources. Thank you very much for giving that word to us. And what you can imagine is what maybe went through that workplace that day at that IRS office, talking about this guy, writing these letters, extending his gratitude and explaining a higher purpose that he had in his work. And that's what At Work on Purpose and this whole idea of a discussion around integrating faith and work that all of us can have is all about. I'll tell you a little bit about what we're doing that next week, but I want Julie, who was in our last discussion group here at the church this past fall, to talk about her experience. Good morning. Um, Bringing Christ in your work, um, I thought might be a little intimidating, but what I did learn that you do not have to check God at the door. The study will take you through it step by step. There are other professionals such as yourself that we share our obstacles, we share our successes. It's you are walk through this step by step. It's it's not difficult. It is an easy way to bring God into everyone's lives, and what a great way to make an impact. Great. So Julie and I are just congregation members just like you. And so next week during the first hour, 9.45 to 11, at the church offices, if you'd like to join us, come on over. We talk about this concept. We share the difficulties, the challenges, the successes. And there will be a sign-up sheet that I'm manning just outside. So I'd love to see you after the service today. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That's exciting to see how, how those in our church are really uh, living out their faith in really practical, practical ways. Um, let's just bow our heads very quickly in a, in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And we ask, dear God, that you would now just, just prepare us, Lord God, for what you're going to say to us through your word. Each one of us, dear God, speak to us individually and as the body of Christ. We give this time to you. We submit it to your will in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. I hear people all the time say things like, I know God loves me, but... I know I'm one of God's children, but... I, I, I know that God forgives, but... The implied is that somehow I'm on the outside of this family looking in. That, yeah, I'm, I'm in the family, but I'm kind of the black sheep of the family, if you will. That I, I have done the unforgivable. Somehow you have in your mind, or people have in their minds, that they've done something that God just can't forgive. Well, First John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. According to John, the proper Christian response to sin is not to deny it, not to avoid it, but to confess it, to admit it, and to receive forgiveness from God. That's what John tells us. He says, if we confess our sins, the first action that we need to take is to acknowledge that we're sinners, not only in our nature, but in our actions as well. Now, I'm sure there are a few of you right now thinking to yourselves, you know, I came in here, I, I kind of like the beginning of this, but you're, now you're talking about I'm a sinner. I'm kind of feeling, well, listen, this passage, we're going to walk through this passage this morning. And so I need you to stick with me because this ends up really, really good for all of us. All right. 
But we have to understand, we have to understand the full scope of what John is trying to tell us. So the first action is to acknowledge that we're sinners, not only in our nature, but also in our actions as well. Notice he doesn't say sin, but sins. We are sinners at heart. We are sinners at heart. David says in Psalm 51.5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's David. That's King David talking. Our theology, my friends, matters. It really, really matters. Now let me help you understand. I hear people say sometimes, you know, I know, they, I know they did this horrible thing or they lied or they cheated or they stole or they did this or that. But they say, but you know what? They're, they're really good at heart. They're good at heart. Now, I know all of us at one time or another have, has, have said something to that effect. And I believe the reason that we, we say something like that is because we're thinking, when I hear people say that I think, when I talk it through with them, what they're really saying is, as Christians, that person is created in the image of God. And so since they're created in the image of God, they're capable of amazing acts of goodness. Because whether you acknowledge God or not, each person, even if they don't believe in God, even if they deny God, they're an atheist, they're filled with, they have common grace. The law of God is written on their hearts. That's all true. They sometimes have a desire to help others. They, they can, people can love sacrificially and not believe in God. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. The law of God is written on their hearts and they can't escape it. Because if you think it through, if I evolved or whatever else, there are certain actions that we take that we wouldn't take. Why do, we, why do we know right from wrong? Why do we act the way we act sometimes, even people who don't know the Lord, who don't respond to God, because they have common grace? So I understand when people say, oh, they're, that, that person's they're good at heart. That's what I believe they're saying. That, I, th- I think that's really what people are, are trying to communicate. But that doesn't change the reality, okay, the reality, the theological reality that we have a sinful nature. It doesn't change that. Our theology matters. We need to understand that. I'm saying this because if, if, we, if, if we don't recognize who we truly are, we're not going to be able to fix the problem. We're not going to be able to overcome it. Let me give you a, a few examples of how this plays out in our lives. Ever wondered why it is that parents will defend their child even when they know their child is wrong? Teachers tell me this all the time. They're in school and some kid acts up or does something completely obnoxious. It's unbelievable. And the parent will come to school knowing really beyond a shadow of a doubt their child is wrong, even if they catch it on video, and and they'll start defending their child. They'll get upset. They'll even threaten to sue the school if they continue with this, 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 what they're going to do to the child. And they say things like this. They say, well, you just just don't understand little Johnny. He's really a good boy. You just, you just don't, you're, you're misunderstanding his, you know, when he, when he threw something or he did this or set the school on fire. You just don't understand little Johnny. He's really good at heart. Wrong. It's wrong. He's, that's wrong. That's wrong. Now, I'm not saying little Johnny's evil. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Johnny has a sinful nature. And as parents, if we don't recognize that, we're not able to help Johnny or Susie or whatever through the difficulties they're going to face. 
If my child begins to lie, tell lies, I can't just say, well, they're, they're just really good at heart. Ultimately, they're going to come to... No, what they're gonna, what's going to happen is they're going to become liars if we allow sin to progress because it always does. Let me show you a video clip to help illustrate. Mr. Winkler. If we don't teach children to live in society today, what's going to happen to them when they grow up? For heaven's sake, Sheriff, the boy's not a criminal. I didn't say he was. Now, what he does at home is none of our business. But when he gets out on the street, he's going to have to answer to us. I can show you in the statute book. The minimum punishment for this offense is impounding the bicycle for one... Well, you can't do it. I demand you return that bike and now. Now, you look here. You're that boy's father. You're responsible for his actions. Now, he's too young to be locked up. But if you're not going to take responsibility, maybe I ought to lock you up. You ever think of that? Yeah. Well, my dad ain't scared of that, are you? Make them put you in jail. That'll show him. Go on, Dad. Show them they can't push me around. Go on. Put him in jail. He won't care. You, uh, you want me to lock your father up? He ain't afraid of you. I don't want to lose my brand new bike. I just got it. You'd rather I put your father in jail? But he's really good at heart, though. You're not saying the... <laughs> you're, not, you're missing the point of little Johnny here. He's good at heart. <laughs> why, why do you think that person at work or that relative can cause such harm? Why do you think politicians can lie over and over and over again and get away with it? Because people think to themselves, well, he or she is really good deep down. They would never really... They don't really mean when they say, how can anyone really, you're, you're taking this too, you don't understand, they're good. I've heard, I've, I've heard that multiple times from people. They see something happening, someone doing something, and, and they constantly try to attribute good motives to it. And that's what happens to us. We need to understand, even when, a, say, for example, a politician is caught on video doing something, we have a difficult time dealing with reality, that the person is capable of doing that. Why? Because deep, 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 deep down, they're not good at heart. We have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. And the reason we don't recognize it, the reason we can't, quote, believe it, is because our theology and our worldview is wrong. And you cannot understand the grace of God. This is where we're leading. You cannot understand the grace of God unless you understand the depth of your sin. You cannot recognize or, 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 or truly understand God's grace until you realize the depth of your sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan reminds David. It's a, it's a really good story. David, walking up on the rooftop, and he sees Bathsheba. Instead of going, whoops, you know, sorry. He continues to look. And all of a sudden he says, I want that woman. He's the king. And so he takes her and he commits adultery. And then he goes on when he gets this, you know, this is what happens. Sin progresses, gets all riled uh, up and everything. And, and all of a sudden he ends up killing Uriah the Hittite, her husband. He sends her to him to the front lines, pulls everyone else back. He kills the guy. So Nathan comes to him. He says, David, I need to tell you a story. King, can we, can we sit down for a second? David says, yes, well, let's talk about this. Nathan sits down and says to David, David, there's two men. One of them is really rich and one of them is really poor. The rich guy has tons of cattle and tons of lambs and sheep and everything. He, he's got all, all he's, just, he's just loaded with the stuff. 
Now, the poor guy has one little ewe lamb that he bought. It's like a member of the family. His kids love this little lamb. Now, just close your eyes for a picture, all of you, and just picture the little lamb, okay? Cute little lamb. The Bible says that the man and his kids really love this lamb. That The lamb ate with them. It drank out of the guy's cup. The lamb fell asleep in the man's arms. He would get it up on the couch and maybe watching something. Just kidding here. But he would pet his lamb. He loved that little lamb. The kids loved the lamb. They slept with the lamb. And and the Bible literally says it was like a daughter to him. So David's like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And Nathan says, well, here's what happened. The guy, the rich guy, goes and instead of taking, someone came to visit him. A visitor comes from out of town. And instead of taking one of the multiple lambs or cattle that he has, he snatches the little baby lamb from the poor guy, slaughters that lamb and feeds that lamb to his visitor. You can imagine the kids just like weeping and crying and the man had the lamb in his arms. He was thinking of that lamb. They probably even threw in the fleece or something. The lamb's gone. David is outraged. David's like, who, who is this guy? He, you know, he deserves to be put to death. Let me, I'm the king. This guy's going to get whacked. And Nathan looks at David and says, what does he say? Anybody know? You are the man. See, this is tough for me and tough for some of you, I'm sure. It's tough for us sometimes to admit, I am the man. You are the man. You are the woman. It's hard for us sometimes to acknowledge that in our lives, that I have to sit back and sometimes say, you know, I am the man. You know, so many of us are, and and rightfully so, and, and justifiably so, we're so outraged when we read a story or hear or see someone bullying someone else. But haven't we in the past maybe bullied someone when we were younger? Aren't you the man? Aren't you the woman? Have we not done that to other people? We're outraged and we see someone else do it. But it's very difficult for us sometimes to raise our hand and say, I am the man, I am the woman. Now, I am not trying. I promise before the Lord, I've prayed about this too. I don't want anyone feeling guilty or condemned this morning. That's not what God wants. God doesn't, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's not my goal. My goal is to help you understand that the grace of God is more powerful than our sin. If you truly want to understand this passage and understand the grace of God, the forgiveness of our sin, you need to completely understand it. You need to understand the beginning so you can understand the end. You don't understand. We cannot understand the grace of God unless we understand the depth of our sin. So my goal this morning is not to have you walk out of here feeling discouraged, but being encouraged because of the grace of God in our lives and the power of God's grace to forgive our sin. David is called a man after God's own heart. When I first read that, I was like, what? Wait a second. David committed adultery. David then killed the woman's husband, basically. And then the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Yes, it does. And the reason it says he's a man after God's own heart, because when it was pointed out in his life, when when Nathan pointed out, when when sin was pointed out to David, David confessed, he repented. He confessed his sin and he repented. He was broken over it. Read Psalm 51 if you want to see a broken person. 
That's why he's called a man after God's own heart. Not because he's perfect, not because he's a superhero, because of the grace of God in his life and him recognizing his own sin. Psalm 51.5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Read Psalm 51, read the whole thing, and you'll see the depth. David didn't say to Nathan, he didn't say, well, Nathan, I think you're missing something. Don't you remember who killed Goliath? You know what I'm saying? With a little, a, I mean, you know, deep down, I'm really good. Deep, 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 deep. You just keep going, keep going deep, deep, deep. You'll find it. No, he doesn't say that. He recognizes his sin. He repents, he confesses, and he repents of his sin. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. How would you like it if you went to the Holocaust and someone in a, in a speech said, you know, Hitler did some bad things but he was good deep down. Deep down, he was a good man. Deep, deep, you know, you have to go through the layers, cut through all the layers, and deep, 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 deep. Somewhere, he's a good man. Hitler was sinful at birth, sinful from the time his mother conceived him. The difference is that no one invested, no one did the work in his life to recognize that sin as it progressed and grew, and you end up with Hitler. Hitler Hitler wasn't good at heart. Hitler was a sinner at heart. Sinner from the word go. God wants us to understand. He wants us to understand that we're all sinners. That's first. And when we recognize our sin and we ask God to forgive us, he will both forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what he'll do. Once we recognize it and we ask for forgiveness, he will forgive us for our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what he did for David and that's what he did for Paul. You remember Paul? First he was Saul and then he was Paul. You remember how what Paul, Paul used to do? Paul hunted down and murdered Christians. That's what he did. Paul, the guy we read about. Paul, the guy who wrote much of the New Testament. Paul hunted down and murdered Christians. You say, my goodness gracious, how can, how can anyone be forgiven for that? Hunting down God's people, murdering God's people. He said in, and he said in himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I'm the worst. It doesn't say Jesus Christ came to the world to save, to save good-hearted people, the people who are good at heart. It says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like Jeff Greer. And Paul says, of whom I'm the worst. He calls himself the worst, yet God used him to write much of the New Testament. That, my friends, is the power of grace. His grace is greater than my sin. His grace covers me. It's greater than anything I've ever done. David, Paul, go through the Old and New Testament. Look at the lives of these people, and God's grace covers them. It covers them. When John says, it says, forgive us of our sins, it means that we, he paid for, God paid for, he canceled our debt. Cancel our debt. And when it says that he purified us from all unrighteousness, it means a stain that he has removed. So many of us walk into church or just live our lives feeling if we were walking around with a white robe, it would be filled with these big, black, dirty, disgusting stains from all that we've done. And God says, if you confess your sin, I will purify you. I'll remove all the stains. I'll remove them all. 
I remove them. When you confess your sin to me, it doesn't matter. You can't sit here this morning and think, well, you, you know, but I'm Paul and David, I, 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 they, they're, so, they're so wonderful and not me. I'm so terrible. I've done so many. No, no. It says when you confess your sin, he will remove the stain. That's what he does. In both phrases, he said, he said to be faithful and just. Faithful and just, which means he is true to his word. God is true to his word, to his promises, and he is faithful to his covenant. And you think to yourself, okay, what do, what do you mean? What do you mean? What, what does it say in his covenant? Well, let me read you just one verse in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34. It says, it says this, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is important. When we confess our sins and God forgives us and he cleanses us from them, he is being loyal to his covenant. That's so important. It's not just about me. It's that God promises that if we ask for forgiveness, that he will forgive us because he has to be, he has to follow through with his promises. He is loyal to his covenant. When he makes a covenant, and the covenant we have is through Jesus Christ, how much more then should we who know Jesus Christ be forgiven? God will forgive us because he's loyal to his covenant. He is faithful to forgive because his promises are sure. He will follow through with his promises. And he is just because Jesus Christ, his son, died for our sins on the cross. When we confess our sin and we ask God to forgive us for our sins, we are forgiven. We are forgiven. And when we confess our sins, God wants us to be, he doesn't want us to be general. He wants us to be specific. What this passage is talking about is bringing those sins to mind. I know it's difficult, but when we sin, we need to bring that sin to mind, those sins to mind, and get specific and ask God to forgive us for those sins. And when we do, we are forgiven. Now, if all of that is true, what I just told you is theologically true, all this is true, no, no debating here in, in, in the Christian faith. If all that's true, then why don't we live it out in our, in our lives? Why is it that we don't live these truths out in our lives? I'm asking you during this series to touch one, but many of you can't do that because you're paralyzed by your past. Your past has absolutely paralyzed you. You, you, you feel like, uh, you know, man, I'm just such a loser. I, I've done things you don't understand. You think that somehow God can forgive, just not you. So what you're actually saying is, and this is just the reality of it, if you think that way, if you think that you've done something that God cannot forgive you for, then what you're saying is, in the same breath, God is a liar, and he's not loving or powerful enough to save me from my sin. I mean, that, I don't know how else to put it. If you, in your mind, think that you've done something that is unforgivable by Jesus Christ, then you're saying that God is a liar, doesn't follow through with his promises, his covenant doesn't matter, God's a liar, and he's not powerful enough or loving enough to forgive you for your sin. Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for David and for Paul, all those in the New Testament, all those in the Old Testament. It's okay for Jeff Greer, it's okay for everybody else in the room and everybody else in the world, but my sin is special. Your sin is just somehow special. 
And you're thinking to yourself right now, man, you wouldn't be so cavalier in saying all this stuff. You really knew what I have done. Let me explain something to you. I don't care what you did. I don't care. What I care about is what the Bible says. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. You didn't make up that sin. You're not the first person who ever did whatever you're thinking. You're not. Every, no sin has seized you, no temptation has seized you, except that which is common to man. And you know what? Whatever it is, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is sufficient to cover that sin. Listen, this, this is really important. If you sin, when you sin, and you confess your sin to God, he will forgive you. End of story. Period. Nothing else. When you sin and you confess your sin, God will forgive you. And, and I don't, listen, it doesn't matter what you think in your mind. It doesn't matter what someone told you. It doesn't matter what Satan whispers in your ear. It doesn't even matter what you feel. What matters is what God says. And God says in Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, God literally decides when you ask for forgiveness and he forgives you, he chooses to forget. If you asked him three days later, God, I really feel bad about this. He said, what are you talking about? Well, the thing I did three days ago. God chooses to forget as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You ever you ever wonder where they got that, where the concept of a scapegoat came from? A scapegoat. You heard that, that phrase before. Well, the, the, the original story in Leviticus chapter 16 is the original scapegoat story. The chief, the chief priests of the Jews got two goats. And what they would do is they would sacrifice one goat. So that goat was sacrificed. Then they would take the other goat and they would symbolically load up that goat with all the sins of the people. So the goats stand there. They symbolically load all of our sins. If, if everyone confessed their sin, wrote them all down on a piece of paper, it's like sticky tab and all the sins onto the goat. So the goat's like weighed down and we, we'd be like a big pile of sticky notes, right? And they weigh it down and then they chase the goat. They get them out of town and they drive the goat far, far away out into the desert so the goat doesn't know how to get back home. He's gone as far as the east from the west. They symbolically lay the sins of the people and they drive the goat away. That's the scapegoat. Jesus is the once and for all scapegoat. Jesus Christ loaded, God loaded all of the sins of you, me, everybody who ever lived, past, present, and future. When he died on the cross, they loaded all of the sins. God loaded all the sins on him. Jesus is the once and for all scapegoat because when he died on the cross, it was finished. It was over. That's why there's no need for sacrifice anymore. All Old Testament sacrifice points to Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that good news? That is good news. No longer have to sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. There was, all our sin was laid on him on the cross. And now when we ask for forgiveness, the stains are removed. The blood of Christ covers me. 
And when God sees me, he no longer sees Jeff Greer. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. So when I ask for forgiveness, I'm forgiven, not because of how wonderful I am, but because of how amazing, how perfect the sacrifice was. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And he covers me. That blood covers me. His sacrifice covers me. Now you're thinking to yourself, some of you are thinking, man, how can I be sure? How can you be so sure? I can be sure because I am his child. I can be sure because I have been adopted into his family. I can be sure because I am in Christ. I can be sure because the old has gone. The new has come. I am a new creation. I am a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person belonging to God. I belong to God. That's how I can be sure. Not because I can work my way or I'm so wonderful or I'm the pastor and I've, got, I've, I've gotten spiritually so much. No, it's because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. When I ask for forgiveness... 1 John, 1, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I love this verse. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But <laughs> if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks. Say speaks. Say it again. We have one who speaks. Say speaks. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Say defense. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. Listen to these words for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. When I am in Christ, I am secure in Christ because I've been adopted into his family. And the, Jesus speaks to the Father in my defense when I sin. I, that's why you say and you ask for forgiveness, you say in Jesus name. And Jesus speaks to the Father in our defense. And we are right with God. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why? Why? Because I don't find my security in, in myself. I find my security in Jesus Christ, not because I have a good heart, but because he has a perfect heart and I belong to him. I belong to him. He died on the cross to pay for my sins, my mistakes, my screw-ups. He died for those things. Now, there are two categories of people here this morning. One category are people who are followers of Jesus Christ who are believing lies, and you need to get back into the game. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've been believing lies, and it's time for you to step back into the battle. And then there are those who are truth seekers. You're seeking truth. You've been coming here, you've been listening, and you're seeking for God's truth. And it's time for you to take the next step in your spiritual journey. It's time for you to take that, that next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be, convic- be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Blotted out. Isn't that awesome? I, this is what's cool about being a Christian. You, you, you could have lived 90 years of your life and been the biggest whatever, and you accept, you sincerely, humbly accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and he gets a gigantic eraser and erases everything you've ever done that was wrong. Why? Because not because you're so wonderful, because he's blotted it out in Jesus Christ. He blots it out so that, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
Everything we've talked about this morning is available to you. That forgiveness, that complete and utter, total freedom in Jesus Christ. People think Christians have to do this, we have to do this, and we have to do this. There's no freedom. The reality is we have total freedom in Jesus Christ, and they're burdened in their sin. It's like carrying around sin on your back. Mine is gone. I laid it at the cross. Every day I lay it at the cross. I'm completely free. And if I do something wrong, I do something terrible, you know what? My, my salvation is secure. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of what he's done. You have freedom in Jesus Christ. Freedom in Christ. And everything we've talked about, you can receive if you're willing to walk into Jesus Christ's open arms. But here's what you have to do. Here, it's, it's real simple. You don't work your way. You just first admit that I'm a sinner. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're sinners. We need to recognize that. And then we need to recognize as well, the next step is just to recognize that the cost, the price, the consequences of our sin is death. Spiritual death. Sometimes physical death, but certainly spiritual death. In Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Then we need to believe that God that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was risen. He, he, he rose again, that God raised him from the grave. We need to believe that, that he paid the price. In Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 and verse 13, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As simple as that. You can't work your way. You can't earn your way. It is a gift of God. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. The best way to remember what justified means, just as if I've never sinned. When you accept Christ into your life, it is wiped clean. And then every day after that, you're not perfect, but when you, when you fall, when you sin, you ask God to forgive you in the name of Jesus Christ. And, the, and Jesus speaks to the Father in our defense. And you're, it's like do over, do over, do over, do over for the rest of your life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing grace? Come on, I mean, seriously. Is that, someone say amen to that, please. Yeah, I mean, that, is that not amazing grace? I mean, I can start over every single day. Now, God wants me to become more like Jesus every single day, and I hopefully am becoming more like Christ every day. But when I fall short, he's not ready with lightning bolts and ready to whack me. I go to Jesus, ask for forgiveness, and I move on. Some people don't like that idea. Some people outside of the church, they don't like that idea. They want people to get whacked. If you do something, boy, God should... No, that's, you can make up your own religion. <laughs> my, my faith in Jesus Christ said that if I confess my sin, he will forgive. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to stop for a moment this morning. And if God has spoken to your heart this morning, if God has been speaking to you right now, if you're listening to this and saying, you know what, this is what I need in my life. This is what I want in my life. I'm so sick and tired of walking around with these burdens of everything I've ever done. And I didn't understand it till this morning what this, really, what this Christianity was really all about. It really is what I need in my life. If you want Christ to come into your life, I want you to bow your heads with me right now. Right now, bow your heads. Everybody bow your heads with me. I want to pray a simple prayer. And I want you to pray this prayer with me to yourself. If you want Christ to come into your life, pray this prayer with me. God, I believe everything that your word has said. 
And I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. I recognize I'm a sinner. I don't need Pastor Jeff or the Bible even to tell me I am. I recognize that. Forgive me for my sin. Lord, I may not understand it all yet, but with the knowledge I have, I want to live for you. Remove the stains. Remove the stains. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you pray that prayer, Romans chapter 5, this is good stuff. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, which is what you just prayed, you said, I just prayed that prayer? Yes, that's it. When you prayed that prayer sincerely, this is what it means. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God, peace with God, because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. You have been forgiven, Period. You belong to him. Period. Now you just need to live for him. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. When you, go, when you sin and you feel condemned, that is not ever from God. Never. When you sin, after you come to Christ, when you sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you. When you feel convicted, you say, Lord God, I am so sorry for doing that. I lost my temper. I did this. I'm so sorry. You ask for forgiveness. The next thing that happens is God forgives you and you move on and let your feelings catch up to you. Because it's your feelings that get you in trouble sometimes because you do something and you feel terrible and you say, I've done it over and over and over and over. I've done it 50 times. You you mean I can keep asking for forgiveness? Yes, you can. That doesn't make any sense. To your mind, it doesn't. To God's, it does. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. If you feel condemned, it comes from Satan. If you feel convicted, it comes from God. If you feel convicted, ask for forgiveness. He will forgive you. He promises through his covenant that he forgives you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are free. Listen, if you ask Christ to come into your life this morning, you are free from your past and you are secure in your future. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 says this, and I love it. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Say amen. Amen. The stain has been removed. The stain has been removed. You are in Christ and nothing can separate you from his love. He died for you. Now you need to go and live for him. Some of you need to step up. Some of you Christians that have been Christians for a while, you just heard the truth. You've been wallowing in the past. You've been, you've been caught in the mire of whatever it is and you feel, you feel condemned. You need to let that go. You are forgiven. Ask for forgiveness even right this moment if you need to. You are forgiven. You need to step up. You need to get back into the battle. There's a battle raging. I'll be, let's get personal here. I need your help, some of you. All of you. But some of you who are spiritually mature, I need your help. We need people who are going to be life group leaders. People who are going to step out and invest in the lives of others in small groups. You are capable of doing it. You're just, for some reason, choosing not to. We, the body of Christ, we need you to get back into the battle. Grab your sword. Get back into the battle. We need people to work with our high school students. 
We need people to be, to be storytellers in our children's ministry. We need, to be, we need people who are going to do events coordination, help us with the events. We have so many amazing events coming up in our church, but we can't do it all. As a staff, we need your help. We need people to sign up. There's a card in your, in your family news bulletin. I'd love you to fill that out and put it in the, the basket, the, the, the family news bulletin basket on the way out, if you would. I forgot to say it in the first service, and hopefully they saw that. But we, we need that. We, we need you. I need you to get into the battle. For some of you who just asked Christ to come into your life, you need to get involved in a life group, in a small group. You need to get involved in a women's Bible study or a men's Bible study. You need to go out and get yourself a study Bible. So you're reading that. You need to read and read and get to know God more. You need to get to know him. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. You need to get to know him. God loves you and he's given his life for you. We need to live for him. Today, today is the day that everything changes for every single one of us, wherever we are in our spiritual journey. Today is a day that everything changes. If you prayed that prayer this morning, and for the first time you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, I want to make sure I follow you up. I want to make sure I invest in you. I have a couple gifts for you after the service is over. And I want you to get those gifts. I want you to just give me your name and your number or whatever, your email address, and I'll call you. I'll connect with you and see how I can help you in your spiritual journey. That's what I want to do. As the the band comes back up, they're going to play a song. And I'm just going to pray for us as they come up. And let's just bow our heads. Lord God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for what you've done through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the truth. And this is the truth that your grace is more powerful than our sin. Your grace overwhelms anything we've ever done. God, do not allow Satan to lie to us any longer and keep us in bondage when we are free, when we are free men and women because we are in you and we are secure in you and nothing can take that away from us. Let us live our lives in such a way that we please you and honor you and serve you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.